0: This is Boom, the Southeastern Commerce Podcast brought to you by the law firm of Adams and Reese. We talk with regional leaders in trade, economic development, government, and business as we explore what's new and what's shaking from Texas to Washington, D.C.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Chris Kane with Adams and Reese in New Orleans. Welcome to today's episode. Joining us today is Mark Brodziski, and he is the acting administrator for Rural Business Cooperative Services at the USDA, and my law partner, Michael Burson, who is out of our Alabama and Washington, D.C. offices, uh, who really has been focusing on all things CARES Act and uh, the multiple disciplines that that is carrying. Today, we're going to focus on USDA's Business and Industry CARES Act program and do a deep dive into that and for the opportunities that that program is providing for rural businesses and agricultural producers to supplement their working capital uh, and and really as a response to the economic impacts of the coronavirus. So we're looking forward to that discussion. And before we do, uh, Mark, we want to get to know you a little bit and just how you got to where you are as the Acting Administrator. So with that, where are you from originally, Mark?
0: Thank you, Chris. Uh, yes, I'm originally from Wisconsin. I've uh, been a, a long-time employee of, and work within USDA. i uh, spent most of my career uh, working with the USDA, either the Farmers' Home Administration or Rural Development uh, in our Wisconsin field offices.
1: So being from Wisconsin, is it true that there's a requirement that you have to be a Packers fan?
0: Well, uh, ideally a team owner if you can, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> That's great. Well, where uh, where did you go to college? I went to a part of the University of Wisconsin system in River Falls. So it was just uh, near the Twin Cities on the western side of the state, uh, but a, a definite strong egg school. So enjoyed enjoyed uh, that start in uh, I guess heading towards a career. Awesome. Well, how long have
1: you been living in the D.C. area?
0: I moved to, to D.C. about 10 years ago now. Uh, we uh, started just on a, a, a short-term detail, um, just uh, working on a couple of projects here. Uh, while I was still you know, working from our, our state office in Wisconsin, uh, but enjoyed it. Uh, enjoyed the activities uh, working at the federal level, a national level. Uh, so I joined the uh, Rural Business Cooperative Service then as a director of one of our programs, uh, and since then been engaged in some of our renewable energy programs, bioenergy programs, uh, additional business programs. Um, today I'm serving or now serving as the acting administrator just due to the uh, vacancy of our administrator position in the interim. Right.
1: understood. Well, and I, and I also appreciate that right now, obviously with the impacts that we're feeling from the coronavirus right now, it's all hands on deck, and particularly for you, focusing on USDA's Business and Industry CARES Act program. Michael, why don't you you introduce the program a little bit and, and talk with Mark here about some of the questions that we have specific to the
2: program. Thank you, Chris, and thank you, Mark, for for taking the time to to join us today. You know, with with a number of businesses across the country, not a, you know only over the past few months, but historically, um, especially those in rural communities, they've had um, and continue to have severe and deal with severe economic hardships. Um, in this instance, it's as a direct result of the certain public health and safety measures that have been taken to minimize the public's exposure to the virus. Right now, what what I think we're seeing is there's a lack of Access to capital, particularly in these rural areas, to support businesses and their ongoing operations. Um, and the uh, Business and Industries CARES Act program is is designed to really address those needs. Um, and, and Mark, if you know, this is a program from um, the, the Rural Business Cooperative Service. Is there? Can you give us a little background on the service and kind of its mission and and kind of the interplay of, of how it seeks to assist some of these rural businesses through the Business and Industries CARES Act program?
0: Certainly. Uh, Thank you, Michael. Yes, The uh, Rural Business Cooperative Service uh, is an agency within the Rural Development Mission Area. So in the Rural Development Mission Area, we have three agencies, ours, the Rural Business Cooperative Service, the Rural Utility Service, and the Rural Housing Service. We focus, as our name implies, on businesses, rural businesses, cooperatives, and technical assistance for cooperatives. Um, But our, our main focus really is on providing, as you noted, capital or access to capital, uh, for rural businesses and economic development projects and, and opportunities. The uh, Business and Industry Program uh, is one of our foundation programs. Uh, it's about a $1.4 billion uh, program this year uh, that offers guarantees to commercial business loans. Uh, and this program, we refer to it as the Business and Industry CARES Act program, is built on that program as a foundation to uh, really help, as you noted, uh, serve and, and assist rural businesses uh, can recover uh, from the pandemic.
2: Thank you, Mark. And one thing you mentioned uh, as you were talking a second ago was, was who essentially is the, the ideal applicant for this program. Uh, I think for the first time, um, I believe agricultural producers may access this program if they're um, ineligible for financing from USDA's Farm Service Agency. Are there any other type of um, changes or flexibilities that have been included in this new program um, from the CARES Act?
0: And you're right. This is the first time that we really serve broadly uh, agricultural production with the business and industry program. Uh, just on the foundation, kind of the regular program, a egg producer, an egg producer could be eligible for funding under the program, but for loan purposes not related to agriculture. In other words, if a producer was interested in processing, uh, they're taking their ag products uh, and processing it, adding value uh, for marketing of those products. That could be something we could do with, with the business and industry program. With the CARES Act program, we expanded it to include ag production. Uh, so now ag producers could apply for the program for assistance uh, without having to be involved in other activities the processing or other business activities. The program itself is available to then all businesses uh, in rural communities. We don't have um, size standards, you know, similar to SBA. So we can work with very small businesses all the way up to large businesses, including uh, publicly traded, you know, companies on a publicly stock market. Uh, so it could be a, a wide range of, of types of businesses. We do not uh, restrict or direct funds towards any type of business, but as we noted here, it could include agriculture. It uh, does not need to include agriculture. It could be businesses you know, that serve uh, agribusinesses or serve producers, uh, but it could be other. Uh, we have uh, a lot of manufacturing in our loan portfolio, uh, hotels, recreation, medical, education, So really any industry you know, that is addressed out of uh, from rural communities uh, could be a business that's eligible for this program and for our BNI standard program.
2: Mark, I think that's fantastic, and that's going to be extremely helpful to a lot of these rural businesses and um, agricultural producers who are, who are really hurting right now. One question that comes up before we, we get off the subject of eligibility is that um, from time to time, there can be confusion on how a rural area is defined. Is there any way you could provide a little more clarity on, on how this program essentially defines rural areas?
0: You're right. That can be a bit complicated.
2: Easiest way to understand what's
0: rural is maybe a definition of what's not. Um, So in our business programs, uh, areas that are not eligible, so not rural, would be a city or community of 50,000 or more, so the core city with a population of 50,000 or greater, and then the area that's contiguous, urbanized contiguous areas to that city are also ineligible. We're thinking of major metropolitan areas uh, would not be eligible. To help with it, we do have a mapping program available on our website, and I'm sure in here we'll talk about, you know, follow up for additional information, but that's probably the easiest is uh, basically a little program we have that a potential, either a lender or a business can just type in their address and it will indicate if that address is eligible or not eligible as a rural area uh, for these programs.
2: Now, getting into a little bit more of the specifics, could you provide a little bit of detail on the loan terms and interest rates and whether or not there are any applicable fees that that may uh, go along with some of these loans?
0: Sure, I can talk about the you know the kind of the terms, what the loans, uh, the use of the loans. The most important thing to understand is that the use of the loan funds themselves is much more defined uh, than our standard programs. So, under the Business Industry CARES Act program, uh, the use of the loan funds are for working capital. Uh, so, it's for basically standard operating expenses for a business. Um, could include uh, making principal and interest payments on loans, uh, but basically to help uh, fund kind of the shortfall uh, in income, kind of the working capital that a business would have uh, to recover from the pandemic. Uh, so again, that's the you know the purpose of the loan and use of the loan funds. The loan itself is a loan, so it's a loan made by a bank or a commercial lender, and we would guarantee that loan to the bank. The advantage to the business is because of the USDA guarantee. Uh, We assume the risk of majority of that loan, so it's a 90% guarantee, so the bank is at 10% risk. Uh, So that, in essence, should offer a lower interest rate, one of the better interest rates that a lender can offer. Uh, The interest rate itself is negotiated between the lender and the borrower. Uh, We do not uh, set what that rate can be. Uh, They'll require that if it's a variable rate, it must be based on some type of published rate. Uh, so it has to be a, you know actively publicly available rate uh, that's used as a base. Uh, the repayment terms can be up to 10 years. So it's a little bit longer than what we would have for a standard working capital loan. Uh, we also have provisions that enable the lender to defer payments on the loan. Uh, we could set the first interest payment for one year after the original loan. So it could be no interest payments for a year. Uh, and then beyond that year, the principal payments could be deferred an additional two years. So for a total of a three-year initial period, it could be interest only, uh, and then start making principal interest payments uh, with the full loan being you know, paid over the remaining of those 10-year term. The actual terms are also negotiated between the lender and the business.
2: Thank you, Mark. This sounds like a, um, really a fantastic opportunity to help rural businesses kind of bridge that gap, so to speak. What about collateral? Is, is collateral required? And, and if so, what, what types of collateral may be required?
0: Right. The loans do have to be secured, knowing that uh, you know, we're working with businesses that are stressed, um, needing cash for, for working capital. We're trying to be as flexible as possible on collateral. So we are uh, you know, allowing lenders to show a, like a second lien position. Let's say if a business has real estate or equipment, maybe that's financing their senior debt, their normal you know, financing with the bank, the B&I CARES Act program uh, could use that same collateral. You know, if there's equity or value above the collateral you know, compared to the outstanding debt, that could be the collateral available uh, for the B&I working capital loan. It also could be other you know, um, inventory receivables. So generally collateral that may be a little bit more discounted or not have the value for lending uh, under a, a standard loan would be something that could be utilized uh, for the Business and Industry CARES Act program. Again, we're trying to be as flexible as possible. Uh, we're also flexible as to the valuation of that collateral. So if the, the business or the lender completed an appraisal on the property within the last two years, we could use that appraisal without having to update it. Uh, if the appraisal has a little bit more age than two years, rather than running a full appraisal, we would ask that the lender simply update the value of that appraisal. So again, trying to remove some of the barriers on some of the time that would require to process a loan. you're know, looking at speeding up the evaluation process for a collateral.
2: So, Mark, what would the next steps be if a business is is interested in this program and and how they would go about applying for it?
0: So, The actual application is through a lender. From the agency's perspective, our client is the bank, and the bank would then work with the business or the borrower. Uh, The borrower would start, of course, with either their current lender or a new lender uh, that's interested in the loan and, and providing the financing that they need, Uh, working through the bank, then submitting an application to our agency uh, for the guarantee. Banks that are eligible for the program include any bank that has a federal or state charter, uh, credit unions, savings and loans, and on the ag side, the farm credit institutions are also eligible as lenders. So a lender that's not currently involved in our programs simply needs to submit an application on behalf of a borrower, uh, and we can work forward with that. We have ability for non-bank lenders also to qualify, you know, such as a CDFI uh, or a, a non-depository institution, but those institutions would have to apply first to become a lender under our program. But a bank, a credit union, um, simply they're eligible uh, and can submit an application on behalf of a business.
1: Mark, how are we seeing the lender participation? Are we seeing a healthy group of lenders participating in the program?
0: Well, from our standard program, we have almost 700 lenders uh, involved in our B&I program. With the rollout of the B&I CARES Act, we've been actively outreaching, engaging with lenders and lender organizations uh, just within the last three weeks or so uh, since we published the rules for this program. uh, We spoke to over 2,000 lenders uh, about this program, so there is a lot of interest Uh, in utilizing this program to help serve rural businesses. We also have a lot of interest on the ag production side. So the the farm credit uh, and the rural lenders that are involved in the FSA, the Farm Service Agency loans, are also interested in this uh, to help out with their programs. Uh, So we're uh, also reaching out to lenders that typically would work with the Farm Service Administration uh, could also be eligible for the B&I CARES Act program uh, for ag production loans.
1: And that's helpful because you know, obviously, that's ultimately the juice that needs to get squeezed, if you will, to, to make the uh, the lemonade and make the program work. Um, and that's that's great to hear that there's a healthy interest. Let me ask you this: one of the areas that we're talking to a lot of our clients with um, is looking at loan comparisons and looking at available loans that you you could possibly mix and match, whether they be SBA loans or or ag loans or uh, or other private options. Each of our states for the most part, has some sort of small business loan guarantee program. Are there any restrictions related to uh, utilization of other loan programs or incentives that would be a, an excluding factor for you to participate in this program?
0: Not in the sense of um, other loans would make a business ineligible for this program, um, but in the sense of eligibility or the amount of loan one we eligible for might be impacted. Again, the purpose of the loan is to help recover from the pandemic, to look at the the cash shortfall. So if a business received an SBA payroll protection program loan or a disaster loan, Mm -hmm. those loans would be deducted from the maximum um, that a business would be eligible for, but they still would be eligible for the business and cares that program. Um, As far as partnering with, they could. Um, So if a, let's say, a business needed uh, some activity, financing activities that the BNI Cares Act cannot fund, uh, maybe refinancing or some longer term capital asset you know, purchases uh, that are not eligible within the BNI Cares Act, then we could work with other programs to put together a financial package. Similarly, with on the ag production side, the Farm Service Administration. So FSA clearly provides financing for ag production. If the business is eligible for FSA, if the producer is eligible for FSA, they need to go that route, however, if the amount of the loan they need exceeds the amount that FSA could lend, uh, then they're eligible for the BNI CARES Act program. In that case, could come 100% uh, to the BNI CARES Act, or you know, at their option, they could choose to blend the two. You know, there are some advantages uh, to the FSA program, uh, and there are some advantages to the BNI CARES Act program. So again, uh, looking at those programs. As to how best you use the funds would so be really up to the borrower and up to the lender to work forward.
1: Along those lines, I, I understand the program is allocated one billion dollars. Is that correct?
0: The program has yeah can support up to one billion in loan activity. Yes.
1: Yeah. Where are we in terms of you know one of the one of the, again another concern as, as our clients are nearing deadlines for certain loan options and 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 the timeframes play out. Explain again, if you don't mind, the, the, the window that we're in and confirm that there's you know, enough liquidity to support the loan program right now in terms of allocation. Does that make sense?
0: Certainly, certainly. So first of all, as far as the, the funds available have about a billion dollars, uh, we introduced regulations to run the program on the 22nd of May, so a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we opened up applications at the same time. Uh, We are receiving applications. Uh, It's been a slow start in the sense of a couple applications coming in early, uh, but that's starting to pick up a little bit from some of the lenders. But the actual funds will be available as long as we have funding. So we'll continue to process applications as long as the funds are available. We're holding all funds kind of in a national pool, and then we'll process applications basically in the order received. Now, the applications themselves will be submitted by lenders to our field office structure. So, Rural Development has a state office in every state, uh, and that office then is responsible for receiving and processing these loan applications. Uh, They'll be working with our national office uh, on the timing of awarding and funding the project or the applications rolling forward. While we are receiving applications, uh, there's plenty of funds you know, available at the rate. Uh, we're starting to see a little uptick, but we don't expect um, that it's going to be an immediate deadline. Uh, we should have funding available to work through projects. Uh, we have some pretty strong lenders, uh, active lenders, in the standard business initiative program um, that are working with us on potential projects. But even their workload is you know, something to go through. We know many lenders are still uh, trying to wrap up their uh, SBA. Payroll protection program loans and other activities that's slowing this down, but we hear a little bit. Um, so, we expect that the funds will be available uh, to serve uh, for quite a while yet uh, for any needs in the immediate.
1: Well, yeah, that makes sense. You know, when you look at that, there's nothing ordinary about the times we live in, and certainly about the pandemic and, and the disaster, economic disaster that has been caused by it. But from a disaster perspective, and, and in my practice, got my first uh, taste in disaster recovery work after Hurricane Katrina and Rita. Um, in that instance, I think it was about 160 thousand loans deployed, ten point nine billion dollars worth of disaster recovery through the SBA, and we learned a lot from that. You know, now now of course the government with its private partners, which as you just mentioned, is a, is really in my opinion the key component, the lenders participating and how we're deploying the money quickly and making it available. The work that you guys have done in your agency and, and across other government agencies to deploy the disaster recovery dollars and programs, I think to the tune of over, you know, six hundred, seven hundred billion 700 billion dollars through disaster loan programs to the tune of, I think, a four and a half, five million loans is just, in a time period, is absolutely incredible. And I think it's lost in the shuffle because of the natural tendency that um, people want answers right away and and need to make decisions that are very important. You just mentioned something that's important, and I want to go back to it just briefly. You would mentioned that you're seeing a little bit, I wouldn't call it lender fatigue, uh, but the private partner side of this, right? The the lender's just experienced putting out however many millions of loans now that we're, we're up to, in a pretty short period of time, they, that program is going to require uh, some significant back-end work um, as well. And then you have the customers that are sitting there, and they're trying to figure out, okay, what happens after now a 24-week period if you're in the PPP loan program, or if you're, you know, or if you're looking at other loan facilities, the obligations required there. This program seems to have some long-term flexibility that is interesting to me, Um, Can you explain a little more on that? I I call it lender fatigue, and that's probably not the right word, but how this loan program particularly and the length of it's going to allow for some flexibility perhaps um, down the road?
0: Um, sure. In a way, it's two questions, but I think they're both re- they're related. Uh, in the sense that the especially the the SBA Payroll Protection Program loans, uh, whereas the lender role and activity you refer to the back end, and really that's what they're really focusing on now is the processing of not so much the, the obtaining the loan approval, but it's it's executing the loan, uh, dispersing loan funds, uh, you know, and the tracking associated with that. Uh, and that's where they're now investing a lot of their time and effort. So basically it would be the same staff that would need repair information to submit applications for this program, for the B&I CARES Act program. Uh, so there's simply I think many of the lenders are focusing on kind of finishing up what they have with the PPP loans first, and then engaging a little bit more uh, with the BNI CARES Act program, and I say that it's related to kind of the, the longer-term flexibility with, with this program in the sense that we intentionally set up the use of the funds for the BNI CARES Act program with some flexibility. We kept it as broad as we could as to for you know, using funds basically to fill in that shortfall of working capital for businesses, but we tried to keep that as open as flexible as possible. We did not set a deadline as to when funds have to be used. Again, that was intentional uh, because it's going to vary depending on the industry, the recovery, you know, the economic environment that the business is in, as to what their economics look like and what you know their cash flow needs are. Uh, so we're trying to keep that as flexible as we can. And also, the I'm going to say the paperwork, in the sense of the lender and borrower lender perspective on drawing funds. Again, we're also trying to keep that pretty light. It's the eligibility and lighting up a loan up front is really based on a projected you know, financial need of the business. Uh, and it's, we're trying to just keep it simply to just monitoring cash flow so a business can show what their cash inflow is, what their cash outflow is, uh, and basically that difference is really the shortfall uh, that is supported with the B&I CARES Act program funding uh, you know, from that loan. So there, the kind of back office work on of the both from the borrower's perspective and the lender should be a little bit lighter uh, than what's under the, you know, the Payroll Protection Program, uh, and provide some flexibility you know, to the business as they're drawing funds.
1: Well, Mark, thanks. And this has been extraordinarily helpful, and I know there's a lot of information on the BNI CARES Act program. Before we conclude, could you let us know where our listeners can go find some more information and to access it, perhaps maybe on the web?
0: Absolutely rd.usda.gov so rd as in rural development.usda.gov. and on there uh, we have all our programs, program sites, just simply selecting the business programs uh, and then drilling into the BNI CARES Act program. And of course, if, if a business or a lender is interested in other programs, those are all available through that website. And almost every one of our web pages at the bottom of it uh, has the links to the eligibility maps and some of the other tools that we have available to help determine eligibility and help businesses and lenders kind of work through uh, some of those efforts. There's also a Contact Us button that you can drill into and find our offices and contacts throughout the country uh, based on either our national location or state offices. Again, all that is off of the rd.usda.gov.
1: Well, thanks, Mark. And I'll close with this question. It's an easy one, I promise both Michael and I find ourselves in D.C. frequently and hope to be up there soon when things open up and, and can be safe enough. But if we're up there, what is your go-to place you'd send us to go uh, grab a bite to eat for dinner?
0: Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> in D.C., that is not an easy question. <laughs> there, there's plenty out there. You bet. You bet. We, yeah, we're a little tough right now, except for the sidewalk cafes. But, uh, yes, we'll get there very soon, we hope. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, when we do, hopefully we can join you up there. And again, thank you for your time, Mark and and Michael, for being on the program today. Uh, We look forward to seeing everybody on our next episode. Stay tuned, and thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for listening, and if you like this episode, tell a friend. You can also find transcripts, links, and more on our website, adamsandreese.com.